thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the Grange Point 4. This is Control, be radial. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, Sits and Sibs. You're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 13, and it was recorded live on March 8th and made available for download March 11th at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Lennon. And I'm Jeff. What do we have this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we check out a video game with a crystal ball. In CIG News, we bring you up-to-the-minute coverage of everything happening around the UEE, featuring our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest in universe fiction, and the sixth episode of The Next Great Starship. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we're actually hoping you can do something for us. Finally, we tune our dials to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Sits and Sibs, we're always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got this creative itch that really needs scratching, then we would love to hear from you. Just drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all the positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is a labor of love, but we do look fantastic on a CV or resume. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. Unless you're living in a bombed-out Vanduul transport on Tiber, you've probably heard there's a bit of a political kerfuffle over there around the Black Sea these days. Seems that Crimean War II electric boogaloo caught everyone by surprise. Everyone except, of course, dedicated flight sim enthusiasts. In an article over on Jalopnik.com, Tyler Rogaway has an article pointing out the eerie similarities of the real-world events in the Ukraine to a 2003 flight sim from Ubisoft called Lock-On Modern Air Combat. In the game, Russia has invaded the Crimean Peninsula and NATO has responded in kind, mustering the iconic F-15 Eagle and the A-10 Thunderbolt II, better known as the Warthog, to counter a plethora of MiGs and Sukhois. The game featured real geography, including eight actual bases, 1,700 towns and cities, 180,000 buildings, and 50 million trees. How's that for fidelity? The game has been updated with expansions and updates over the last decade. It lives on in its most recent release, dubbed Flaming Cliffs 3, which improves on the AI logic, graphics, models, and effects of the original. Oh, also, uh, it expands the theater of operations into eastern Georgia. Let's hope the real world doesn't get a hold of this patch. Any of you guys play Lock-On? Oh, yeah. I haven't updated it to the latest iteration, but this was one of my primary flight sims. So did you fly for the Russians or did you fly for the Americans? Oh, come on now. I was NATO. <laughs> You're in the Air Force. Yeah, <laughs> dumb question. <laughs> so did you win? I guess that's the real question. Oh, of course. Okay, good. Yeah. It's Jeff. What are you talking talk about? Of course. The fate of the free world rests in Jeff's hands. That's right. right. That's right. I do have to know, though, Jeff, obviously, if this game can predict the future and you've played this game, I don't suppose you happen to notice uh, whilst you were playing this game what the lottery numbers were, did you? No, no. I oh. Did they have, like, the World Cup finals in there either? Because that would yes. do that, too. 
No, 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 none of that. (laughs) Well, 50 million trees, but no soccer matches. Man, all right. Well, have you read, seen, or heard something that you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. And your crowdfunding update for 8th of March, 2014, 39926000 Almost so to the final system unlocks, the Cabal and the Oratani systems. If only you people could have spent another seventy four grand today. I mean, my God, is that too much to ask? We're just going to have to wait for the next letter from the chairman and the next stretch goal for another week. Also, we have only 6,290 alpha slots left. That's another seven or 800 per week, as usual. And just over 404,000 registered users down a bit. But the naysayers on the sidelines are still waiting for the dogfighting module reveal in April. They'll be along. Well, like you say, if they build it, they will come. As we didn't hit the stretch goal, we don't have a letter for the channel, but we do have the first in a regular series coming straight to us from Chris Roberts, The Monthly Report. This first monthly report gives us some very nice insights into things going on behind the scenes at Cloud Imperium Games. Chris lets us know that 71% of the $6 million raised since Christmas has come from new backers, and that there are currently 212 devs working on Star Citizen, making it probably one of the largest dev teams out there for any game, let alone a space sim. And that the dogfighting module is progressing well, and that they're able to regularly dogfight in the office. Chris does let us know, however, that there is one area still causing them a few issues and that's the server backend. Since they made the decision earlier on in development to not use the CryEngine's networking code, but instead to develop their own code that would then go on to form the core of the persistent universe, there are a few bugs that keep cropping up. But the team are on it like a fat kid on cake to get everything as highly polished as possible for the PAX reveal. And our latest from the Sezen series continues, part six. We hear from Yadev again, our smooth-talking reporter on the front lines. This time, she and the governor are preparing to take a trip into town, which I'm sure is going to go off without a hitch. If you haven't been keeping up with Dateline Sezen series, you really owe it to yourself to check it out. It's a great fiction series available in bite-sized chunks over on robertspaceindustries.com. Speaking of fiction, Jump Point Volume 1 is now available for pre-order on the RSI website. All 650 pages of the first 13 issues of Jump Point bound together in one book. That's awesome. I saw that thing. Each printed page has two original Jump Point pages, 8.5 inches by 7 inches, resulting in a jumbo 8.5 by 14. 330-page archive in the first year of Star Citizen. You can pick up a copy of your very own by heading over to the Pledge Store and pledging $80, 64 euros, or 47 Great British Pounds. To all the boomers, haulers, dumpers, and scav jockeys, listen up, this is for you. Whether you're hunting minerals, crossing the void to break down a piece of salvage, or guarding valuable cargo through a rough patch of space, y'all need a suit that's as tough as you are. Well, that's the pitch from Golem Tech for you. This neat little infomercial gives us our very first very teeny-weeny glimpse into the EVA suits, and we discover that not only will there be multiple EVA suits, yeah, like, did anyone not see that coming? But some of them will also be armoured. Unfortunately, we have no more details other than that, but you can read the transcript for yourself over on the RSI website. In the latest entry into our Galactic Guide, we discover the Tiber system. To quote the article, The Star Traveler's Guide to Tiber could be best summed up with a single word. Don't. Or rather, don't! 
The site of countless battles between man and monster, Tiber is a bleeding wound on the face of the explored galaxy that shows absolutely no sign of healing. Massive fleet actions against the Vanduul Horde, up to and including antimatter bomb-fueled Clean Slate operations designed to eliminate all planetary life, have completely failed to drive the invaders away. The valuable wreckage left by the attempts are alternatively Siren Song or Sour Grapes, depending on the prudence of the pilot. But you'd better schedule your treasure hunting during UEE-sponsored Vanduul hunting trips, otherwise you're on your own in a hostile, hostile turf. And this week we have another episode of 10 for the Chairman. We're not going to go through all of them. We're just going to cherry pick the ones that we feel gives the most valuable information to us. So let's kick it off. Chris was asked, what would be a detail that is really small but would surprise us to know that it has been in from the very beginning? And Chris replies that what most people probably don't realize is that each planet will have different architecture. So it's not just going to be a generic feel throughout the whole universe and most sci-fi productions have one set of planetary art done by one artist who designs it with the whole scene in mind nothing looks different nothing looks built upon when he said this the first thing for me that sprung to mind was any of the cities on any of the star treks you know if you look at the romulan capital city or Kronos, you know Mm -hmm. it's a very nice matte painting but it all looks like it was all built at the same time so what they're aiming to do is to build the first layer of say this happened in the year 500 and then this happened in the year 600 and then the 700 and they build it up in layers to give a, a complete overview of the cityscape i actually really like their approach that they're taking to this it'll definitely make it feel more lived in what about you guys he oh, yeah. really seemed proud of this system because he went on about it forever <laughs> oh he did a yes. long time it's like a show bible yeah. i mean he really is sort of writing a show bible and and the 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 pages that he was showing you was the architecture chapter of the show bible Chris was also asked, are you able to transfer shields or remotely repair your wingman's hull? And he said, nope, no space healers, no space wizards. You can manage your own power, but not transfer a bubble to your buddy and keep him safe. Every man for himself when it comes to your shields and armor, pals. One of the other questions that Chris was asked was, how will EVA work? Will you be able to repair ships or explore wrecks? You know, will you be able to get out of your ship in space and go and do things? And Chris actually replies, yes, you can actually do both. He says most ships have airlocks. Some, like the Hornet, don't, so you'll have to blow the canopy if you want to get outside. But there is planned zero-G movement on the spacesuit, so your spacesuit will have thrusters that you'll be able to maneuver with. And he says you will be able to go outside to patch up repairs and board other ships. Then he was asked different jump points. For example, one-way, collapsible, small ships only, you know, dreadnoughts, corvettes... Yes, they have discussed, but have not designed the mechanics. We'll always have to find an entrance and exit. I got the impression that they had not figured out all the jump mechanics yet. Chris was then asked about peripheral support. Track IR probably will not be supported on the first release of the dogfighting module. Oculus Rift maybe, but it depends on Crytek and their work on some of the latency issues they're having with the device. And there was a little bit of forum rage out there because uh, Track IR was one of the stretch goals that was promised upon release, of course, and release could be what, 2015, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so the, there's a little bit, a tiny bit of controversy over the preference over Track IR, which is out there and available now, versus Oculus Rift, which is still kind of experimental and in development. 
Chris was then asked, is there going to be an overhaul to the Constellation like they did with the Avenger? And Chris replies, yep, the loading and unloading of cargo will be made easier. This largely goes back to the EVA question from earlier. He's also said that they're going to be moving the living quarters to the front so that the back is just the cargo and the engine room. And there are a full suite of variants in the works for the Connie. We totally called it. Yeah, we totally, totally did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you solo an Idris? Chris hasn't made up his mind yet. He wants some ships to be multiplayer, wants them to be guild houses. Did we call that one too? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. did we? Mm-hmm. See? No, he didn't say it. He didn't say it. Right. But I he's got to be heading that way because here's the thing these ships are going to be massive right they've already like doubled or tripled the size of the Idris I mean it's going to be huge 11 people to crew a 240 meter long ship I don't think so I mean, they're going to be huge. And in this world that he's trying to create with the, the World War II dogfighting carrier thing, you're going to need lots of warm bodies. Mm-hmm. There's going to be millions of these NPCs running around in the in persistent universes, nodes in the network. And the Icarus is just the smallest of the, yeah, yeah. Of the big ships. You know, yeah. it's a Corvette, which I can't right. imagine that any ship that is bigger than the Idris even if the Idris is soluble. I mean, and that's and, that, and here's the question, though. is like there's going to have to be NPC crew in there somehow, whether it comes with the ship as part of your ownership package, which would make a lot of sense in the fiction, but yeah, maybe. Maybe you get a starter crew or something. Or it slots you have to fill with your buddies. It's got to be populated somehow. Mm. So it raises the question, how effective should those NPC crew be? And we know from previous discussions that on your Connies and your freelancers, you can hire an NPC and then your buddy can jump in and sort of take over that NPC's actions. So is that going to be available for all the NPCs on these large ships? Maybe a subset of them? Do you have to have somebody jump in on a certain bottom line number of those NPCs in order to function in combat? I mean, this is a metagame in itself. I can take an Idris out by myself and crew all these NPC stations, but if I get into a fight, am I going to have to call for help in my buddies? My buddies will have to jump in or else I'll be a sitting duck. And that's one of our community questions for this week. How effective do you want your NPC crew to be? Barely competent? Better than the average 12-year-old Call of Duty addict? Somewhere in between? Let us know in the comments under our show notes at garfrequency.com or on episode 13's show post on the fansite subforum on robertspaceindustries.com. And we also have Wingman's Hangar episode number 59. We're going to hit the high points for you here. They had a long, interesting look at the damage states and what they're doing to create those. So that's a pretty good piece. Go check that out on there. They also had an interview with uh, David Ladyman, the guy that put together that Jump Point book, and the master of the economy. They're starting up the economy now, guys. They're going to start to run simulations to see if the thing will actually tick. That's big. I wouldn't expect them to have been this quick getting to that point, but they're moving right along on it. And they've got some of the forum feedback, gents. Do we want to cover some of that? Yeah, why not? So part of the forum feedback, they were asked, will the damage carry over from your spaceship to the hangar? You know, if you get absolutely beat up whilst you're dogfighting in your Hornet and then you return to the hangar, is it going to still be beat up or is it going to be like a magic auto heal when you fly in? And Rob Irving replies that, yes, you will have it carried over from space into your hangar. So if you land and it's a bit blown up, you're going to have to repair your ship yourself 
itself before it's safe to set off. But not for the dogfighting module, because the whole point of the dogfighting module is it is a test, it's an alpha, and they wouldn't get much data if everybody's ship was just blowing up every 10 seconds and you had to wait two weeks for your insurance to come through. <laughs> Wouldn't get much dogfighting done in the dogfighting module mm. that way, no. And if you're tracking a dead or alive bounty and you kill them, do you get to keep the ship? And Rob kind of puts on his best snarky look and goes, no. If you're a bounty hunter, the bounty's on the guy, not the ship. It's not like you get a bonus. So sorry, guys. If you're going to be a law-abiding bounty hunter, you just bring in your mark and then the ship is going to go to that bounty's inheritance to their uh, successor. And will there be AI voices on ships? And can you customize the voice and personality? Probably pick from a handful eventually, but just one for the DFM. Yeah. Rob compared this very much to if you buy a sat-nav, can you customize the voice and personality on it? And like he was saying, you know, you can probably download a few voices off the internet, but you're not going to be completely reprogramming your cockpit voice. So, you know, if anybody wants a sort of real sultry woman, sort of like, oh, my shield's down, you know, you're not going to be able to have that, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Oh, really my good. thrusters are at full, you naughty boy. <laughs> You, you, know, you know what they're going to do? They're going to make one like that now. They, just better. they better use me they, for the voiceover as well. I'll tell you, though, I, I played a lot of games with computer voices in them. And I must say that the most I respond to are the female quality voices. On my Klingon STL, or is that male Klingon that's always... I, I want to turn them off. I, I really do. I just... Mm -hmm. It just... It irks yeah. me. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't want to turn them on, otherwise you're going to end up with, my shields are down, <laughs> you naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> and he was asked about investigation missions. Are we going to have special storyline missions where we go uncover secret architects? Architects. Why not? Let's uncover go uncover architects. secret architect. <laughs> Why not? And then we can go on and uncover secret artifacts as well. We can do both. Why not uncover secret architects? Rob says, at first, uh, maybe a few for the Persistent Universe, but the majority is going to come later. They just need to build the sandbox first, and then they can worry about the theme parks that go on top of it. Then he was asked, how is time handled? Unsure. It's going to take a lot of playing around. There will likely be compressed time in the game, but don't know quite where to set it at. Yeah, I think this is going to be a big problem mm. with their slavish assistance on real physics and whatnot and not messing with Einstein and things. It's going to be a problem because it's a long way from a planetary orbit to the outer solar system where these jump points supposedly well, are. Well, I don't see a problem with it in space because that will be a galactic standard hour. But what I see a problem with is when your planet side and each planet has a different type of day and night cycle. I would not compress time. I was thinking about this after he said, yeah. said that. I think that I would keep it Earth standard and just go with that. Yeah, because the problem here, I mean, they're trying to make it, you know, real everywhere. And so these different points in the universe don't have instantaneous communication. You have instantaneous communication to the extent that you jump between jump points instantaneously. But when you travel in the system, there's going to be light speed communication only from the inner system to the jump point itself. That is going to be tough to handle mm -hmm. when in the metagame you've got TeamSpeak and Skype. My cell phone, I can send a text to women. Okay. I mean, that's going to be tough to square. Here's what I think. I think they ought to combine that whole jump point reimagining thing with that are collapsible or one way or small ship only. 
I think they're going to need mini jump points. And I think they're going to need mini jump points from planetary orbit. So you leave the planet and go into planetary orbit, and then there's the possibility of some encounters and stuff there from patrols and whatnot. Then an instancing transition from a planetary jump point to the system jump point on the edge of the system. Or planetary jump points around each planet in the system. Because the point to C thing... It's just, I, you know, you can have that as a mechanic, like a runaway mechanic, like a get me the hell out of here, I'm going to get my ass kicked mechanic, that's fine. But as far as a traveling thing, it just isn't going to work. I think that's where the crux of the problem is, is the travel. So if they don't yeah. have any travel system set up where you have instantaneous travel and you're self-traveling everywhere, then the problem becomes how much time is it going to get me from this point to that point to the next point? And so that brings us to our next community question. How would you deal with the time problem in the persistent universe? Do we have the time to debate about time or do we not have the time? What is it your tune is going to do to pass the time while flying at one-fifth the speed of light from one habitable planet to the jump point? Let us know in the comments underneath our show notes at guardfrequency.com or on the episode 13 show post at the fan site subform on robertspaceindustries.com. And as we have every week now, the next episode of The Next Great Starship. The teams are well into the concept phase, and this week we're introduced to another five teams that are hoping to make the cut and go through to make The Next Great Starship. So, like we did last week, we're going to take a look at all these individual teams and tell you our thoughts. So, first up, guys, we have the entry from Shimmerpan. Tony, what did you think of this? Well, I like this concept, and I think that one of the things I like about it was the engines on the wings, like Jeff was talking about last week. He wanted to move one of the uh, Sky Guards. He wanted to move Sky Guards' mm-hmm. engines on the wings. I'm coming around to this viewpoint because it reminds me of the Osprey, the V-22 Osprey. That concept works as a dropship in real life, so I'm coming around to this idea, and this is probably the best execution of that idea that I've seen so far. I, too, like this. Uh, this was had something on what I was trying to envision last week. The engines are overly large. I'm not saying yeah. that they're too large. I'm just saying they're overly large. They could be toned down just a bit, and I still think it would yeah. work. But that was my only critique about this particular ship. I know that the designers go on a lot about the silhouette of the ship. And when I tried looking at this from the silhouette point of view, it just, I, I, once I've seen it, I just can't unsee it. But the silhouette just reminds me of a pod racer. And up until then, I yeah. was all completely up for it. And then it's just, I don't know, this whole like pod racer thing came in. Well, and I was just like, oh, I you shrink the engines. Shrink yeah. the engines. And I think we can take care of that pod racer thing for you. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. But other than that, it was a really nice design. I like the fact that it came with a drop pod to get the marines into combat quickly i thought that was pretty good thinking that they actually uh-huh. put some thought into it okay well the next ship that we have is the entry from talon which started off as more of a concept a pen drawing and then they did have a couple of quick mock-up renders uh, jeff what are your thoughts yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wanted to cough, okay. i wanted to cough this one up as something that was stuck in my throat i did not like this <laughs> ship it was too out of this world uh, it was too not what I consider RSI. It looked tiny. It actually didn't have any scale. It's too small, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. I don't know where the pieces folded into. In fact, I don't even know what all the pieces were. I did not care for this ship at all. 
you know what I thought? That is the little brother of the ship they were supposed to draw. Yeah, I think they slightly missed the mark on it because, yeah, it's a gunship and I can understand how they've sort of done it as a very sleek, very armoured, we need to get these guys into battle, but there just appears to be no threat from it. You can almost imagine this is a space taxi rather than... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I kind of get the idea. I mean, the way it looks to me is like this thing's supposed to detach from a larger ship in orbit and then turn itself over and fall through the atmosphere at great speed and then flip itself back right side up and then deploy all of its gadgets and guns and then get the people to the the battle. I mean, I think that's a great idea, but that's not what this ship was supposed to do. Yeah, I could... The ship's supposed to drive it, the tankiness into battle, like just go hit it. I go shoot this out of the... with my pistol. Great speed or not, this just didn't have the... What I would think of a, a Marine's landing. You need a swarm of these. Right. You need a swarm of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could see this being like a space police cruiser almost. It's got yeah. that sort of, you know, I can imagine a guy in there with some sort of, uh, I think it was the fifth element, wasn't it, where they had like the police officers had yes. the lights on their hat. Um, yeah. I was like, Pull over, <laughs> citizen. I love and, that. Well, let's talk about the next upcoming model, the entrance from a four horsemen. This one featured a cargo crane that sort of animated out the back and picked up a crate. And as they were doing it, there was a lot of oohs from the judges. They kind of went down really well on that. They went quite a lived-in feel. They took the ship section by sections with the cockpit, the engine room, mess area for the crew, and uh, yeah, overall, they put a lot of thought into this design. Tony, I believe you had a little bit of a grievance with the engine room, correct? I did. I it's, I just, it's, it's too far forward. You gotta move it back. Period of the story. That's, oh. Well, I almost disagree <laughs> with you, Tony, because the engines are on the edges of the wings. I liked everything about this, including where the engine room was, because really, if I'm running into trouble, the engine room is where I'm going to go, right? Well, the next entry was from the team Vision Cut. I personally feel they might have cheated a little bit here because they submitted two concepts for different ships. What was quite cool about this guy, though, was that he decided he was only going to conceptualize it in 3D, so he couldn't draw things that just wouldn't exist. So he submitted these two concepts, and the feedback from the judges wasn't great. It was compared to a Fisher-Price My First Spaceship. So it was very much something like Buzz Lightyear would fly or that you would see in Spy Kids. So out of these two designs, Jeff, which was your favorite and why? Well, this is where I would hack up another hairball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I There were pieces of this ship that I liked. For example, the landing gear, some of the engine work. They had these spinning thruster. you got to see the animation for this because it really makes the idea of oh, yeah. the, yeah. the thruster. The F-35-like. Right. Yeah, the F-35-like snake. Kind for of doing thing. the VTOL. Yeah. yeah. But the rest of the ship, really, come on, guys. I was not a fan. And part of this, and this kind of the problem here is that actually, from a real practical standpoint, that first concept is probably what a really effective gunship might look like. You can turn a narrow profile to your adversary and have that narrow profile be armed with like big guns and stuff and then drop your guys out the back um, and have them take cover behind you. I mean, that's probably a real practical way to do it. It just doesn't look cool. Well, I mean, the judges did say that they would take an ugly ship that actually had function and purpose and well thought out design over something that was, you know, the most beautiful looking sleek thing ever. But this is just not quite there. The first concept looks like, and the second one looks not quite there for a gunship. 
So no, I completely agree. And it, everything is too chunky and too oversized. So yeah, well, that brings us on to our last team, which is Team Troika. This group were, I have no idea where they were from, but their accent was pretty hard to understand, even for me. They actually designed this with a lot of thought in mind of, okay, so if I'm a gunship, I'm going to be in this type of scenario. And if I'm in this type of scenario, then I'm probably going to want to make sure my weapons are here, here, and here. And they really thought about the purpose of the ship, not just what the ship should look like. So there is a lot of firepower on this. The devs said that they would have loved to have seen the ship from more angles, as they only really provide just the one. But it's a good look, it's a good silhouette. Tony, what did you think of this one? I think it's too heavy. It's really, really busy. It's an interesting design, and again, you got that engines on the wing thing, like the Osprey. I'm, I'm coming around to that idea more and more. There's too much going on for a gunship. You know, it's supposed to get in, fight its way in, protect its occupants long enough for them to get out and start being an effective battle unit on its own, and then get up off the ground and cover those units while they're doing their business down there. This thing looks like it's ready to take on a cruiser and then uh, get down on the ground and like then shoot a bunch of tanks and then uh, be a hospital ship after it's done because it's got all these empty room now because it's shot all its weapons off. I mean, there's too much. It's just too busy. I got the impression that this was a boarding ship and not a ground... Uh, yeah, uh, why not? Throw that in there, too. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. uh, concept. Let's start with the cockpit. This thing had a bulbous head where it was totally open, where if you were boarding a big-ass cruiser or you were a pirate, this would be a perfect pirate ship, considering the firepower. Mm -hmm. But it didn't give me the idea that it was a marine lander. Yeah, I agree with you about the cockpit. It is very open. All the other designs seem to try and encase the cockpit in some way. But this just looks like a couple of good shots and you could just deaden the whole ship. You know, there might be marines in the back, but if the ship ain't flying, they're going nowhere. <laughs> and initially, I, I looked at Earth and much like you, Tony, I thought, what the heck, there is far too much going on. But actually, the more I look at it, the more I really like it. Yeah, it's got a lot of firepower, but it's a gunship. You know, the key word there is gun and this is certainly not short of them it did feel for me very like a Wayland yutani it's very um aliens look and feel to it so much like the team said you really could imagine ripley flying one of these but no overall i thought it was a really good presentation and i really liked the design well, that's our take on it, and obviously the teams had their votes. Going through to the next round is the concept from Shimapan, Team Troika, and Four Horsemen. The two that are out are Talon and Vision Cut. Talon only received one vote, and Vision Cut was a unanimous out. But they do go into the save. At the end of Phase 1 of the next great starship, the community will get to vote two teams back in that have been previously voted out, so there is always a chance that they could reappear. We still have a little way to go until we get to the community vote phase but you know if one of those ships was your favorites then there's always a chance that you could see them back in but gents i'm afraid i'm gonna have to ask in the meantime where the f is the dog fighting module i haven't seen it jeff have you been hiding it no no but i, I tried to but they wouldn't let me get in oh, are you sure because okay. i've i left it around here somewhere oh I know I did. Well, this is our little segment of the show where we like to tell you what we're doing to pass the time until the dogfighting module arrives. So this week, I've uh, I've picked up a, a game called Goat Simulator. And no, I'm not kidding. It is a goat simulator. If you guys haven't seen this yet, it was a concept that was thrown together so that some developers could figure out a physics model. And they just sort of ran with it. And it just picked up traction. It became a an actual thing. Um, it, you play a goat. You cause mayhem. It's nine bucks. It's just 
it is so fun and I am so excited for when it actually gets released. I was lucky enough that some of the guys I work with uh, have a few connections in the gaming industry and I got to play a demo of it and uh, it is just fantastic. If you've not checked out the YouTube video, links will be in the show notes. You definitely, definitely need to pay this some attention. I think that sounds like a <clears throat> euphemism for something, but okay, you're telling me it's a real thing. <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. Seriously, if you've not watched the... Uh, we'll wait. Go and watch the video now. In fact, everybody at home, go and watch the video now. We'll wait. Okay, it's an actual goat simulator. It is. Okay. You simulate it's, a goat. I, you simulate a goat. All right. Okay, it's a thing. It's a real thing. You have fun with that. I, I will. <laughs> Jeff, what have you been up to? Actually, I went back to a game, Allegiance. I actually fired it up, and it looks great. I remember why I played it so much before. It was a fun space sim to actually kick around in again. Cool. I fired up Star Trek Online for a little bit. They revamped their Galaxy Dreadnought, so I re-kitted my old thing out there and tried to go pwn some Borg. And I also bought a gently used HOTUS off eBay. Oh, what did and, you get? Uh, fired up War Thunder. I had the same thing that when I got the Thrustmaster. Uh, I just want something cheap. Probably my son will be inheriting this one as we close in on the release of Star Citizen. Pass this one off to Junior, and I'll get something spanky and new for myself. But fired up War Thunder. World War II flight sim. It's kind of fun. I kind of enjoyed it. I probably won't be sticking with it too much because there's a lot of atmospheric things that aren't going to be translated well into space. So I'm going to go find some more spacey things to do. I wonder if I can use a HOTUS in Goat Simulator. I wouldn't. I don't. I like when it comes to you and goats, Lennon. I really, (laughs) I really want to keep it a closed subject. Well, before this gets completely off, and I think we should say that's all of the CIG news done. So let's actually ask you a favor this time in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets! Hello, citizens and civilians, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets. This is our section of the show where we delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and give you the gory details from the inside out. Fair warning, the game is still in active development, so all the information given is subject to change. This week, we're going all the way inside the game, straight into the offices of CIG in Austin. That's right, our very own Tony, the guy sat just over there, will be conducting a full day of interviews with the devs deep in the heart of Texas on March 13th. I've been coaching him on his accent, so I know he's going to fit right in. So who at the Austin office is on our dance card? Well, yeah, him. Uh-huh, right, 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 him too. Yeah, uh-huh, of course we're going to be talking to him as well. I mean, look, basically, unless someone has been summoned to Santa Monica to help Chris work on the dogfighting module, they're going to sit down with us. So, that's where you guys come in, our listeners. You've been in on a closely guarded secret for months now. Not many people know how good this show is. Well, now you're in on another secret. We're about to get better, and here's how you can help. We've got our questions for the devs, but we want yours too. Chances are, if you're a regular listener, you've got a lot of the same questions we do. But, just like over on Priority One, our audience is diverse, dedicated, and devilishly clever. We expect that you've got an inquiry that we haven't even thought of. At least one. Two? Maybe three? So, put your thinking caps on, scour the forums and subreddits, and service up something insightful and, above all, answerable! Some examples of unanswerable questions might be 
Will I be able to hire retired Navy NPCs to be stewards on my destroyer that I can fly solo? And can I dress them up in matching sailor suits? And what day are you releasing the dogfighting module? None of that, please. Well, more like a question like, where the f*** is the dogfighting module? Post your qualified queries on our show notes page for this week's episode or on our forum thread over on the RSI Fan Sites subforum. I'll look them over on Tuesday and Wednesday and add them to my interview notes Thursday morning before I head to CIGHQ. Remember, if you post on the RSI thread, you're also entered to win a free Steam Early Access code for Void Destroyer, courtesy of Iteration 11 Game Studio. Well, now you're caught up on everything about our visit to CIG Austin, so let's tune into the feedback loop and hear what you have to say. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! And from our show post over at GuardFrequency.com, well... We did get a couple, but it was mainly our community manager, so we just ignore him. He's won the Chivalry Bean Award too many times, and now he works for us. So, sorry, Shiv, <laughs> we're not even going to read it this time. Well, let's jump over to RSI Forums, and where we have our latest winner of the Void Destroyer code, that would be Sean Newrock. If you want to win one of the three remaining codes we have to give away, thanks to Iteration 11, that's the indie game company developing Void Destroyer, just leave us a post on episode 13's thread on the RSI forum before 7 p.m. Central Time on Saturday, March the 15th. That's 1 a.m. Sunday, March 16th, GMT. And speaking of Sean Newrock, he writes, Great show, everyone. I really love Under the Bonnet stuff. I like the idea of starting with a cheap Thrustmaster HOTUS. Eventually, if I really get to playing a lot of Star Citizen, I will then get a complete set with rudder pedals. Yeah, well, Sean, glad that you enjoyed the Under the Bonnet stuff. We've actually reached out to the guy who wrote that, and he's going to be joining us every now and then over here on Guard Frequency. When a patch is released, he'll be able to give us all the skinny details. So, yeah, look forward to that in the future. And Nexus writes in, he says, Hey, guys, great show as always. Really love the Aurora Showcase, my little worker bee. And as a personal note, thanks for the laughs on the reply on my comments for the last week. I ended up breaking my tailbone the night before falling out of bed, so I needed that. Wow. Ouch. (laughs) Yes, yes. As always, you guys rock, and I can't wait for episode 13. P.S. I'm not sure if I should ask for a key, considering I can't sit down at all. That's probably (laughs) why. Oh, and I forgot to ask, what do you guys think of the new monthly reports? And do you guys think that CIG is doing enough to let the backers and subscribers know how development is going and where their money is going well i certainly think they're a good thing and i think the one thing you can't accuse crg of is lack of communication uh what about you guys i happen to agree with you i've been in a lot of betas and alphas you know as a tester and a contributor and i gotta say that the community communications is higher than anybody i've ever been involved with well and i mean they are pioneering a new development model and setting a gold standard quite frankly i mean if this is how major games are developed in the future i mean they're gonna have to compare themselves to this really i mean let's 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 be honest let's take a step back we need to see the game obviously Mm -hmm. we need to see the end product of this but the performance that they're putting on and let's be frank it's a performance i mean mark skelton his gold shirt i mean come on showbiz (laughs) right there kids i mean that's showbiz they're really devoting a serious amount of time to the communication process. And I think that's really good. But think about all the time that they're not spending in investor meetings. 
all the time they're not spending in reporting to accountants and bean counters for all this stuff. Their accountability is literally them talking to the community, to the people that have fronted the money. And they're not spending it on board meetings. And uh, Nexus, I hope your ass gets better soon. (laughs) (laughs) Red Star writes in, thanks for the show. I was pleased to see the spotlight on the Aurora since that probably is the most common ship out there. I am still looking forward to the Void Destroyer key. Better luck next time. And by Jeebus, I will have one. No, you won't. Or buy one, maybe. Keep up the good work. And Lennon? How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? I've actually been thinking about this, and I think the answer is quite obvious. A woodchuck would chuck much, much wood if a woodchuck could chuck wood. And what's that in metric? Uh, much, much is imperial, so metric. Uh, a woodchuck would chuck quite a lot of wood if a woodchuck could chuck wood. Very good. Excellent. Thank you. And Nix writes in and says, That thing on the freelancer is clearly a long-range triple-band sensor tracker suit. Just kidding. I have no idea. When it comes to joysticks... <laughs> I currently use Logitech Extreme 3D Pro, but I may consider upgrading to HOTUS if I have any money left when I've upgraded my rig enough to run Star Citizen. I'm considering getting the SciTech X55 Rhino, though. Good choice. Now, but Jeff, Jeff, before you do this, the last time we let you talk about joysticks in feedback, I had to edit it from 25 minutes. So <laughs> you've got to keep this to under three. Okay, I, 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 just, I just said it. I just, good choice. Okay. That's it? Yep. That's it. I I applaud Uh, your restraint. I applaud your restraint. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I'm not going to give him a second (laughs) chance, so let's move on to everything that we had coming in from Twitter. In response to our community questions, Master T. Chalice says, they could always make the room in your hangar for housing. I personally think that that would work out just as well, if not better. Well, they're going to do that. Mm. I mean, the the hangar is supposed to be your spot. You know, that's your spawn point. That's your resting place. That's your repair shop for your ship. That's your spot. We're talking about guild housing, though. The cooperative sort of optional sort of I want to be in a squadron or a team community resource. If you want to play that way, I think that would be a really good way to do guild housing. But your personal house will be your hangar. You'll always have that, even if your guild kicks you out because you're, you know, a sleazeball. You always have a place to hang at your hangar. And Season Star writes in and says, That's an interesting take on the Idris. New design, by all accounts, lends itself to that. And coming to us from Facebook, Sean Errors writes, I think large ships as guild house is an excellent idea and different. But there should be a choice between land or space or even both. Oh, I think they can have other kinds of guild housing too, but I just think that the mechanic lends itself really well to it to be ships as well. Yeah, and in one of the episodes of 10 for the Chairman, Chris did say that organizations will be able to take over factories that are planet-side and, and right. produce things there, so I'd imagine that there will be something to tie that all together quite nicely. Yeah. So Martin Redstar Bergren writes in, he says, it would be cool if you could buy or construct a sort of ship that would drill its way down to the core of an asteroid and then consume itself and construct a guild asteroid base. The real question is, if we want a static or movable guild housing, I think that having a ship as a guild house mechanic suggests that they can be destroyed, and is that something mm-hmm. we really want? That's a mm-hmm. good point. Good point. No, I, this game is all about risk and reward, and yes, yes, I think that that's one of the cool things about this possibility. If this is your guild house and you are going to try to get rewards off of a PB contact or, or an instance... I think you should put something on the line. It should be dangerous. 
with the Idris, it is something that you're going to be able to buy in-game for in-game money. Yes, it might take a while to build it up, but you're not looking at something like, let's say, um, Star Trek Online, their guild-based system. You have to contribute lots of uh, every type of commodity you can imagine oh under the sun. And yeah, I mean, I can kind of see where he's coming from. Like, if you can imagine, because we all, all three of us play Star Trek Online, so if you had a tier five star base that you flew off to go and do a PvE mission, you came back and you found it blown to smithereens, I would be pissed. I would be so, so angry right. that that was like that. But I think, you know, the resources required to get an Idris are going to be so much less that it almost, yes. it, that it makes it riskable to be rewardable. Yeah, and that's the equation you got to run and the calculation you have to do is that, look, what kind of missions, what kind of rewards are we willing to put our Idris on the line for? And that's how a game should be. You know, mm-hmm. no, that's too risky. You know, if we're a search and rescue guild, we send in the smaller ships to go clean up the fighters and the danger. Then the Idris comes in as the you know mop up, you know, the medical bays and the repair systems and that kind of stuff to help you know get those ships that were disabled back on the move. Well, do we need to get some haircuts and get some real jobs? Should Jeff Moonlight is an announcer for mail enhancement products like designer envelopes and collectible stamps? Let uh-huh. us know. Mail enhancement. <laughs> I get it. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. You can leave a comment for this episode's show notes at www.guardfrequency.com. And now you can subscribe to us, feeds.guardfrequency.com, or you can find us on iTunes. You could send us a letter via snail mail, and I could sell you some postage stamps, or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak. You can leave us a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you really want to avoid the Postal Service and all the different mail enhancements Jeff could sell you, you could send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And just before we wrap up, we just want to give a little special shout-out to all of our Twitter followers at cruisers at spudboy1963, at bigism, and at lunarose13. And that brings us to the end of episode 13 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 14 on the 18th of March with the very latest news from CIG Austin itself. So be sure to keep an eye out for our episodes over at GuardFrequency.com or on our post over at the Robert Space Industries Fan Sites Subforum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down in the feedback loop, you can hit the contact form at the top of our website. But this week, be sure to post up on our show's forum thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. You can get your name in the drawing for Void Destroyer Early Access and send us your questions for the team at CIG Austin. All the details for all of our contact methods will be in the show notes. Do you like what we do? You want to come and join our team? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K. We are always on the lookout for talented individuals, so no matter what you're into, we want to hear from you. And if you're just looking for a friendly wingman or two, then why not check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response. You can find us over at the official RSI website, robberspaceindustry.com slash orgs slash guardfreak. We want to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions, including our artist, Simon Trollton Edwards, and our community manager, Chivalry Bean. Special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. And we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Time to 330, count 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard.
special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use our, what was that? Did I hear something? It was probably a related incident. (laughs) Post your qualified queries on our show notes page for this week's episode or on our forum thread over on... Forum thread. Forum thread. Tony, that's like a girlfriend simulator. Why would I get one of those? I I just try and get a girlfriend. I can get an actual goat. They're surprisingly not that fussy. Really cheap to take out on dates. You don't even have to order food for them. They'll just eat the table. And if you, you know, once things have got a bit romantic, if you take them towards the edge of a cliff, they tend to push back harder. Well, that's the pitch from the Gol- Golem Tech? Golem Tech. Hmm. Either way. Yeah. I'll probably better go with Golem Tech. Cause be sure. I don't want to confuse the Hobbitses. <laughs> Lennon, Lennon, they need to hire you for all the voices. <laughs> Lennon does all the voices of the Star Citizen. As, as long as it's slightly erotic man or she <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, that's going on the bloopers.